Good evening. It's 2.30 in the morning on day 23, Adi Omao. I couldn't sleep, so I decided to do a recording of a reading from my Letters on Saison by Rilke. Now, this one happens to be a bit longer than normal. Usually only is a couple pages, but this seems to be about six, so we'll see how it goes. Paris, 6 Edissimon, 29, Rue Cassette, October 9th, 1907. Today I wanted to tell you a little about Cezanne. With regard to his work habits, he claimed to have lived as a bohemian until his 40th year. Only then, through his acquaintance with Pissarro, did he develop a taste for work. But then to such an extent that for the next 30 years, he did nothing but work. He did nothing but work. Actually, without joy, it seems, in a constant rage, in conflict with every single one of his paintings, none of which seemed to achieve what he considered to be the most indispensable thing. La religion Relicision, he called it, and he found it in the Venetians, whom he had seen over and over again in the Louvre, to whom he had given his unreserved recognition. To achieve the conviction and substantiality of things, a reality intensified and potentiated to the point of indestructibility, by his experience of the object, this seemed to him to be the purpose of his innermost work. Old, sick, exhausted every evening to the edge of collapse by the regular course of the day's work. Often he would go to bed at six before dark after a senselessly, senselessly ingested meal. Angry, mistrustful, ridiculed and mocked and mistreated each time he went to his studio, but celebrating Sunday, attending Mass and Vespers as he had in his childhood, and very politely requesting some slightly better food from Madame Bremont, his housekeeper. Hopefully, hoping, nevertheless, from day to day, that he might reach that achievement which he felt was the only thing that mattered. And all the while, assuming one can trust the testimony of a not very likable painter who associated with everyone for a while, he exacerbated the difficulty of his work in the most willful manner. While painting a landscape or a still life, he would conscientiously preserve in front of the object. No, that's not what it says. 
he would conscientiously persevere in front of the object, but approach it only by very complicated detours. Beginning with the darkest tones, he would cover their depth with a layer of color that led a little beyond them and keep going, expanding outward from color to color until gradually he reached another contrasting pictorial element where beginning at a new center, he would proceed in a similar way. I think there was a conflict, a mutual struggle between the two procedures of first looking and confidently receiving, and then of appropriating and making personal use of what has been received. That the two, perhaps as a result of becoming conscious, would immediately start opposing each other, talking out loud as it were, and go on perpetually interrupting and contradicting each other. And the old man endured their discord, ran back and forth in his studio, which was badly lit because the builder had not found it necessary to pay attention to this strange old bird whom the people of Al-Ai had, had agreed not to take seriously. He ran back and forth in his studio with green apples scattered about or went out into his garden in despair and sat. And before him lay the small town, unsuspecting with its cathedral, a town for decent and modest burghers, while he, just as his father, who was a hat maker, had foreseen, had become different a bohemian, that's how his father saw it, and what he himself believed. This father, knowing, what bohem knowing that bohemians live and die in misery, had determined to work for the son and become a kind of small banker to whom people brought their money. Because he was honest, as Cezanne said, and it was thanks to this, these financial precautions that Cezanne later had the means to continue painting without interruption. Perhaps he went to his father's funeral. He loved his mother too, but when she was buried, he wasn't there. He was engaged, sur le motif, he called it. That's how important work was for him already and he couldn't afford to make an exception, not even this one, which surely must have commended itself to his piety and simplicity as an important occasion. He became well known in Paris and gradually his fame grew, but he had nothing but mistrust for any progress that wasn't of his own making that others had made for him quite aside from the question of how they had made it. He remembered only too well how thoroughly Zola, a fellow Provencal like himself and a close acquaintance since early childhood had mis misinterpreted his fate and his aspirations in La Uve. From then on, any kind of scribbling was out Travailler sans se soucier 
de Poseidon est devenu à faute, he once shouted at a visitor. But when the latter, in the middle of a meal, described the novella about the chef d'oeuvre in Kona, I told you once about it, where, where Balzac, with unbelievable foresight of future developments, invented a painter named Frenhofer, who is destroyed by the discovery that there really are no contours, but only oscillating transitions. Destroyed, that is, by an impossible problem. The old man, hearing this, stands up despite Madame Bromont, who surely did not appreciate this kind of irregularity, and voiceless with agitation, points his finger clearly again and again at himself, 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 painful though that may have been. Zola had understood nothing. It was Balzac who had foreseen or forefelt that in painting you can suddenly come upon something so huge that no one can deal with it. And yet, the next day, he attacked the problem again, as always. Every morning, he would get up at six, walk through town to his studio, and stay there till 10, return along the same road to take his meal, eat, and set off again. Sometimes, a half hour's walk past the studio, sur les motifs, in a valley before which the mountain range of Saint-Victoire rose up indescribably with all its thousand challenges. There he would sit for hours, occupied with finding and incorporating the plans. Curiously, he refers to them again and again with the same word Rodin used. He generally reminds one of Rodin. He generally reminds one of Rodin in his statements. For example, when he complains about the way his old city is being destroyed and disfigured every day. The only difference is that where Rodin, with his great self-confident equilibrium, comes out for a matter-of-fact remark, Cezanne, sick, old, and isolated, is seized by a rage. Coming home in the evening, he'll start boiling up over some change, work himself into a fury, and finally noticing how it exhausts him to be so angry, he'll promise himself, I'll stay home, work, just work, nothing else. And then, from these changes, for the worse in the little town of I, he makes a horrified inference about what must be happening elsewhere. Once, when the conversation turned to present conditions, to industry and all that, he burst out with terrible eyes. Ça va mal, c'est effrayant la vie. Out there, something vaguely terrible on the increase, a little closer by indifference and mockery. And then suddenly this old man, in his work, painting nudes only from old sketches he made 40 years ago in Paris, 
because he knows that I would not permit him to use, permit him the use of a model. At my age, he says, I couldn't get a woman below the age of 50, and I know it wouldn't even be possible to find such a person in I. So he uses his old drawings as models and lays his apples on bed covers, which Madame Provence will surely miss someday, and places a wine bottle among them, or whatever happens to be handy. And like Van Gogh, he makes his saints out of such things and forces them, forces them to be beautiful, to stand for the whole world in all joy, in all glory. And he doesn't know whether he has succeeded in making them do it for him. And sits in the garden like an old dog, the dog of his work, of this work that is calling him again and, it, and that beats him and lets him starve. And yet he's attached with his whole being to this incomprehensible master who only lets him return to the good Lord on Sundays as if to his original owner just for a while. And the people outside say, Cezanne, and the gentleman in Paris underscore his name when they write it and are proud of well, being well informed. I wanted to tell you about all of this because it connects in a hundred places with a great deal that surrounds us and with ourselves. It's still raining extravagantly outside. Farewell. Tomorrow, I'll speak of myself again. But you know how much of myself was in what I told you today.